as Mike mentioned before, it's an exciting week this week. We are, we are finishing our little, our little four-week series. I suppose we could call it a four-week sojourn. That would, that would apply, wouldn't it? Just that, that, that time for us to stop and reflect on, um, on just really what have just been basics of Christian living, aren't they? Just to try and relay some of those foundations as we live through the, the chaotic times we're living in. And I hope, I hope you found it a blessing. I know, I know that we in our house have to be reminded what it means to abide in Christ, what does it mean to assemble as the church, um, what does it mean to build our lives on seeking first the kingdom, uh, and this week we turn to what it means that we would pray, that we would ask God to meet our needs. Um, it turns out that so much of what it means to live for Jesus, to live a thriving Christian life, is just about getting those basics right, to, to, to draw near to God, to read his word, to pray, there's no... There's no point in Christian maturity where we ever outgrow our need for Jesus and these things are the, the things that he has given us in order for us to get more of him. And so these are things that will always be relevant. Um, as we get into this week's theme, here's a, here's, here's a thought that I have. Um, I don't know, how, I don't know how, to, how to describe this well. I've got a word. I don't know if that's the best word. There's a strange, um, there's a strange human trait that I have noticed, perhaps you've noticed it as well. I suppose we could call it um, tokenism. That's, that's um, J.R. Tolkien's younger brother, I think, was token, wasn't he? To it's, the thing, it's the thing where we, um, where we say a thing is true, and then in certain circumstances, we pretend that it's true, uh, especially whilst we are within the view of others, or, or they're in, within our view, and while we say this thing is true, we don't really think that it's true. Do you, do you, have you come across this, this strange quirk of the, the human race? We, we all do this. Um, not that we would ever say that the thing is untrue, but it comes out in funny rules, uh, it, it, in, in funny ways. It comes out when we um, obey the rules, but not from the heart. There's, there's a good example of it. When we obey the rules, but not from the heart. For example, tokenism. Now what's coming next? Is this, today, is this the day that Matt gets fired, perhaps? No, it's not, I'll, I'll behave. Here's one, here's one fun example. Um, can I get the, the pictures up from that um, third slide? What we have here is a picture on the left-hand side, your left-hand side, of a paper straw. A paper straw. Now let's ask ourselves the critical question here. Why has the large multinational corporation responsible for the manufacture of this paper straw decided to shift from plastic straws to paper straws? The chain of logic goes something like this, does it not? We love the earth, and in particular, the baby turtles. Uh, next, we think that single-use plastics are destroying the earth and killing the baby turtles, and therefore, in order to save the earth and the baby turtles, we have shifted from plastic straws to paper straws. And if we were to meet Mr. and Mrs. Starbuck, who are together the Starbucks, if we were to meet them and to ask them the reason for this change, this is, the, this is the chain of logic that they would give us, isn't it? This is why they've gone to the hassle. They would say to us, we care about the turtles, we care about the earth, etc., etc., etc. And that logic all seems perfectly coherent, perfectly, perfectly rational for a moment until you notice what some of you have noticed already, which is that this particular paper straw pictured above me is wrapped in plastic. what some might describe as single-use plastic. 
This particular oversight becomes even more egregious when you think back with me to a time just a few minutes ago when in this same store, this photo is from a different store, they would have served you a plastic straw wrapped in paper. Do you remember that? It was 10 seconds ago. And so um, these paper straws, or as I like to call them, paper shams, are wrapped in plastic because paper straws may have many uses, but one of them isn't. Being a straw, that's the one thing they're no good for. And now everyone in the whole world has to pretend that they approve of this change for the sake of the turtles. Are you with me? Now, you might, you might be a believer. You might think that this really is solving, um, solving all of the, the problems in the world in regards to the baby turtles. Um, but at this point, surely we have to question the sincerity of Mr. and Mrs. Starbucks' belief. There is some part of what they claim to believe, and they, they, they seem to believe when it is convenient, they act like they believe it when other people are looking, but there's some part of the golden chain of their belief that they don't really believe. Either we must conclude that they do not love the baby turtles, or that they do not believe that single-use plastics are destroying the baby turtles, or that they do not believe that getting rid of single-use plastic is going to solve the problem. Because if they did believe all those three things altogether in sincerity, they would act differently. But at whatever it is, some part of that belief seems to be insincere. And because of their insincere belief, because of their tokenism, we now all have to try and drink poppers out of paper. All that is to say is we have this very human trait everywhere there are humans, including the church. Um, if, I was to, um, if I was to ask myself the question, where have I seen this trait play out most frequently within the church, I would have to say, I believe it is in our approach to prayer. We say that we believe that we cannot do anything on our own and that we need God's help in all things. Nothing that we do will bear eternal fruit outside of the grace of God. We say that we believe that God listens to our prayers, that he hears us when we turn to him, and we say that we believe that when we pray, he answers in power. And when we are with others, and when we are at church, and when we are at Bible study, we act like we believe these things, and we pray, and then we go home, and we simply don't. Now, at this point, we must conclude that some part of the golden chain of our belief, we simply don't believe as we should, mustn't we? We either don't believe in our own inability, or we don't believe that God hears, or we don't believe in God's willingness to help. Because if we did believe those things, all three of them together, we would pray. We would have no choice to be anything but prayers. There is something in our flesh, even amongst Christians, that doubts some part of these truths. Now look, please understand that there are many of us here who have healthy prayer lives. I'm not saying each and every one of us is a, is a prayerless pagan. Uh, but consistently, as a pastor of this church, when people tell me what part of the Christian life they find most difficult, consistently, prayer is right at the top of the list. It's a thing that we tend to, as a, as a church, find difficult. And I am indicting myself as much as anyone else uh, when I speak of this 
issue. All of that is a tragedy. Because, brothers and sisters, it is true. Apart from him, we can do nothing. That is very real. Because he really does hear, he has inclined his ear to us in Christ. And because he does answer, he delights to deliver. So we should pray. We need to pray. It is most urgent that we be a praying people. How much of the many ways in which we have found ourselves struggling in the basics of the faith can be connected to this one part of our lives that we try and do it without his help. And in so many ways, we have only to ask and we would see an exponential magnification of the work of God in our lives and in this church. So we should pray. Today, we're going to finish by praying. Um, I intend to, to preach a shorter message today so that we can spend an extended period of time practicing what we preach and praying. But before we get there, let us open our Bibles together and let God again do a thing, which I think will be a surprise to very few of us, but to remind us just how strong a motivation God has given his people to call on his name. We're going to be doing that this morning by turning to the, the letter of 1 John. That's not the gospel. That's the one tucked up, up the back. 1 John chapter 5. And we'll be looking at verses 12 through 15. First John 5.12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Isn't that incredible? These words were authored ultimately by God through his spirit, inspiring the Apostle John, a man who was in the inner circle of Jesus' closest followers during his earthly ministry. Think about what John had seen about prayer in his time with our Lord. He had seen firsthand how much Jesus himself prioritized prayer in earthly life. Did you know that Jesus was a big prayer? If you haven't noticed that one, have a skim again through the Gospel of Luke when you go home in particular, and you'll see it. Jesus was a constant and consistent prayer. He would withdraw from other forms of important ministry at times when the, the crowds were gathering. He would withdraw from them to quiet places in order to pray, to be with his Father in prayer. If Jesus himself needed to make praying a priority, who, who do I think I am, right? 
But more than just knowing that Jesus set an example for us to follow, of course he is that as well, John had come to understand something much more fundamental about what drives the life of prayer. Let's chart the flow of his thought. The first thing that we see comes to us in verses 12 and 13, where we see that there is a a fundamental distinction at the center of all reality. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Here's the most important thing about you. Those who are in Christ have life. And those who are not, do not. When we are speaking in ultimate terms, there are just two kinds of people. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. Whoever has the Son, whoever has Jesus, has life. This this does not just simply mean is alive. There are people who are not in Christ who are alive. Life is being used here metaphysically. It has a relationship with physical life, but it's, it's higher. Eternal life. Ultimate life. Life to the full. The life of God himself flowing through your blood. Because Jesus is life, if you have him, you have life. God is the source of life. If you have him, you have spiritual life. If you do not have him, your whole existence is a slowly wilting parody of life. You are spiritually dead. You're waiting for your physical self to catch up with your spiritual self. But to those of us who have received Jesus by faith, by believing, God intends for us to know that we have eternal life. It is a known certainty if you are in Christ that you have been connected to God in this way. And how many other ways is this, pro- this promise communicated to us throughout the word? We become God's children. God is now our father. We have been adopted into his family. This is our eternal state, but it has begun now. If you are in Christ, this is the lens through which God views your entire existence. If you are to ask yourself the question, what does God think of me? The answer is, if you are in Christ, he thinks, mine, my beloved, the one near and dear to me. And if you are outside of Christ, you are his enemy. This is the simple distinction at the heart of all existence. John brings us here because this principle has everything to do with prayer. Everything to do with prayer. The basis of our confidence in prayer comes from here. If you are in Christ and you have been reconciled to God and you have eternal life, you have confidence towards God that you have been made acceptable, that you have been received. And because of that, you have confidence. You will be heard when you ask. This is his next point. 
if you are in Christ, you have another certainty, and the certainty is that God hears us. This is 1 John 5.14. This is the confidence that we have towards him. It takes confidence. Did you know that? It's, it's, it's almost presumptuous that we would think that God hears us. And it would be presumptuous were we not in Christ. But in Christ, we have this confidence towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Hears. Hears in the positive sense, not just that the words go past his ears, but hears in a way that implies agreement, positivity, willingness. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, says Jesus to us. God hears us like this. He has ears to hear you, his children. Because God, for the sake of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, is inclined towards you, we have confidence that if we ask anything, anything, he hears. That's a massive promise, is it not? Believing that will change us. Know this, this promise is two conditions. The first we've touched on already, the promise is made to those who are in Christ. There's condition number one for this promise to be true in your life. God is everywhere. God knows all things. He has a general grace for all of mankind, but he has a special concern for his children. And when we come to him through Christ, we enter into his special grace, including that we gain this kind of confidence in our standing with him by Jesus alone. And the other condition is that we would pray according to his will. Isn't that the weirdest thing? I love it. According to his will. When our prayer aligns with God's will, we are praying God's will to God. And he delights to answer in the affirmative. Elsewhere, we're told, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Because if you delight yourself in the Lord, then the desires of your heart are God. <laughs> of course he will give that to you. If we pray anything, anything in accordance with his will, he hears. It's a strange thought. That means that it is possible for us to pray and for God to say no because it is not in accordance with his will. There's some, there's some examples of what this might mean for us scattered throughout the New Testament. For example, Jesus prays in the garden, does he not? What does he pray? Father, I pray that this cup would pass over me. A prayer which was answered in the negative. It did not pass over him. He went to the cross. But the second part of his prayer, not my will, but yours be done. This God gave him. <laughs> Another example. I'm sure I just made a Trinitarian heresy there by not, be, not, by not being careful. It's very easy to do. Another example. 
in the letter of James. James explains to us in James 4.3, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I'm reminded of some of the the, the televangelists and their their very heretical prayers. My favorite, the the money cometh to me now guy. Have you come, come across him? He's probably dead by now. I don't know. Asking from the wrong motive is not praying in the will of God. You ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You're asking selfishly. You're asking for things which ultimately would be destructive to you. And your father says, no, 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 no. If I gave that to you, it would destroy you. You can't have that. This is why there is a long legacy of of Christians encouraging one another to pray through the promises of God as as a method of prayer. Have you come across this? It's a great way to know that you're praying within the will of God when instead of praying for a Ferrari, you pray through the word and what God has promised and just ask him to do what he said. You want to see your strike rate go up and how often you see God move. Try starting there. One last example. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, the Apostle Peter tells us, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Brothers and sisters, God's will is that you would live a holy life, a life that looks like Jesus, that is like him in his character and his love. And if you are asking God for things whilst walking in continual unrepentance in another area of your life, this verse points out husbands being harsh and ungracious with their wives, as an example then you are not praying in accordance with the will of God. Your prayers will be hindered, even though you may well be asking for good things. Isn't that quite the warning? It's a go and be reconciled and then bring your offering kind of moment. Do you want to see fruitfulness in your prayer life? Walk in repentance. Walk in repentance. Grace is unconditional for the believer. But some of the blessings and rewards of God are received by obedience. So those of us who are in Christ, we should know that he hears us when we pray in accordance with his will for us. And you can know that you are in the will of God if you're walking in repentance and faith and praying in in accordance with the promises of God and you are in Christ. Which leads us to the last part of John's flow of thought. God is willing and able to help. Verse 15. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. Isn't it incredible that this promise comes Two verses after he has used this same kind of phraseology. You can know that you have eternal life. You can be certain of where you stand with God and the fact that you are regenerate and accepted and in his family. You can know that you have eternal life. And with the same kind of certainty, according to 
John 5.15. We know we have the requests that we have asked of him. Are you this confident in your prayers that God is willing and gracious and able to answer? Isn't this just so radically generous? It's almost too good to be true. We can be ever so certain of where we stand with God that we already know that we have received the things we're asking for. I can't add much to that. Brothers and sisters, if this is true, we should pray, should we not? If if God really is who he says he is, and we really have been reconciled to him, and he really has turned his ears towards us, and he really is willing and able to help to the extent that we can know that we have our requests even before we've received them, we should pray. We should bring all things before him that they might receive his gracious blessing. We should conduct ourselves at all times underneath a blanket, a covering of prayer. Everything in this church, everything in your life, everything that matters, we bring to him with this kind of certainty as his children. What we're going to do to finish is we're going to pray. Before we get there, I ask you, when you look at your life, do you see, do you see a healthy life of prayer? And if you don't, I have to ask, which part of this do you not believe? Because it's our belief that leads to our actions. For some of us, we really don't believe as we should that apart from him, we can do nothing. <laughs> that, that's, that's the problem. I don't pray because I think I've got this. I don't need his help. Some of us, we don't pray because we doubt he's listening. Because we doubt he's listening. Some of us, we don't pray because we don't think he can help. We doubt his willingness or his ability. But if it's not one of those, what is it? What else could keep us away from such an outrageously generous promise? Why is it that I need to constantly remind myself to pray rather than people having to fight me off to prevent me from doing it all the time? Why is it that this is so difficult for us? I would suggest, I would suggest that we here in the comfy West, most of the time, the one we find hardest, is the first one. We don't think we need his help. We think we are sufficient. And I wouldn't be surprised to know that there's a number of you who who really connect with the second. That you struggle so much with receiving grace that you find it hard to believe that he's listening. But today we're going to assume these things are true. We're going to come before him now. We're going to spend 10 minutes here in the service 
praying together. Here's what that can look like. You can stay where you are and pray. Uh, if, if you're visiting or you're intimidated by that, and that just sounds like the most scary thing ever, we'll pick that option and no one will even know. You can stay where you are and you can, you can pray and reflect quietly by yourself. Or perhaps you want to pray in groups. Yes, totally appropriate. If you want to get up and go and grab someone and find some place comfy in the room or form huddles, yes, you can pray together in groups now during that time. That's a great option too. And then lastly, um, myself and Mike and, and Danielle will make ourselves available down the front here somewhere if you would like to pray with someone, specifically over something in your life. We'd love to pray with you as well. You can pray where you are. You can pray in groups. You can come and pray with a prayer partner. What we're going to do is we're going to pray through those things. I'm going to put, just leave it up here on the screen where we can see it. Christ is life. Our God hears. We have already received what we asked. Three beliefs that create our prayer life. Let's, let's take this 10 minutes now to commit each of these to the Lord and ask that he would reveal to us any, any way in which we doubt his wonderful promises. That he would drive us, drive us to our knees as a continual way of life. Why don't I open in prayer and we'll get started. Father, we need you. In, in so many more ways than we are even aware, we need you. And were it not for your grace, that would be a terrifying admission. To, to admit that I am unable, to admit that I'm not self-sufficient, is devastating to my flesh. But because of who you are, in that admission, there is such a wonderful freedom. Today as a church, Lord God, we ask that you would be God and that you would help us to stop trying to supplant you. We come before you because we need you, because you listen to us, because you're willing and able to help. Because of the certainty that you have promised us. Lord, and in this, this moment of sanity, we pray that by your spirit, you would be doing the work of changing our minds and changing our hearts, changing our beliefs and changing our actions. Would you cause us to live as sane people? Would you cause us to live in reality? Would you cause us to receive the grace and the certainty and the joy you so willingly give? We pray these things in the name of Christ, through whom we receive these promises. Amen. Let's keep praying.